The Chris Cast is recorded live in front of no audience. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to the Chris Cast. I'm your host, Chris, and I gotta say that on this date in 1692 was the start of the Salem trials. You know, they are Paul's people because he was born on a witch's Sabbath. So we've given a shout out and try and undo the injustices that were done to his people. So here on the Anchor app, say hello to Paul. <laughs> and um, I did go to Salem last year, as you know. So, you know, I had to go visit the motherland. <laughs> You gotta gotta support your people. Yeah, I did. So, yeah, I guess I I did in a way. So, but anyways, in all seriousness, it it really is as we're recording. It is the the anniversary of the start of the Salem witch trials today in 1692, which is March first. And uh, anytime I see anything with witches, I gotta give Paul hell about it. But what gets me is while being there in Salem, realistically, all you know a woman had to do was make a man mad, and all he had to do was accuse her of being a witch, and she got arrested. That's all they had to do. Well, you know my my favorite was the way they tested for witches. Like one of the things I remember was they put stones in their pockets. If you floated, you were a witch and got killed. If you drowned, you were not a witch and you were exonerated. It's like, you're dead either way. That's right. I mean, it was stupid. But um, the they do have a burial ground there for the um, quote-unquote witches. And some of the graves are unmarked in there. So, um, But there is commemorative. I mean, there is a grave site that's there in the middle of Salem. So um, it's actually really neat to visit. But anyways, on with the show. We've got some food news, and Paul has a special food review for us this week. Take it away, Paul. Well, I put I went on a hunting. I went hunting, and I looked and looked and looked and looked and looked and finally found a Pepsi Peep, Peep-flavored Pepsi. I bought two of them. And I went ahead and took them to work and refrigerated them and opened up one of them. And I, I, whatever I was opening it up, I wanted to smell the effervescent of the when you open it up. And it smelled weird. And I thought, hmm, what is that? So I tasted it and it was a marshmallow flavored with just like a little twinge of a twanginess to it of a Pepsi. Was it good? Uh, it was will I drink the other one? Yeah, I'll drink the other one because I bought it. But um, but is it a big sensation? Uh, I, I kind of messaged some people about this on Facebook and I messaged them wanting to know if they tried it. And several friends did reach out and said that they did try it. And, and two friends came back and said that they love it. They went ahead and bought like several bottles of it. So my consensus is it's it's okay. Will I drink a bunch of them? No. Will I drink the other one? Yes. Will I go out and drive by some more? No. But 
it is interesting. I do suggest that you do at least try it. So, um, you know, to each throne. So, you know, it's whatever you find good. But it was, it was actually, it was good on its own right. It was. It wasn't like, I was expecting it to be extra sweet, but it wasn't. And I was actually pleasantly surprised by that. Yeah, like like I said, Peeps is the absolute most disgusting candy on earth, and I don't drink sodas, so therefore I'm completely out on that one. Candy, disgusting candy. That would be black licorice for me. No, that's Peeps. I cannot stand Peeps. Never have liked Peeps. You Even like candy if I corn? marshmallows, I hated Peeps. You like candy corn? No. So which one's more disgusting, candy corn or Peeps? Uh, I'd go with Peeps. <laughs> uh, okay. What are we talking about next? Well, first off, since I'm thinking about it, I'm just, just having to think about this thing that I saw, and I'm trying to find the article. It's about Splenda. Let me guess. It causes cancer like everything else does. Not cancer. Hmm. What would that I be? Now I can't find the article. But I literally, I shared it on on social media just the other day. Let me look Bing because Google's not pulling it up. Uh-oh. But I know I found it on Bing to begin with. It has anti-aging properties. No. It causes malaria. No. It causes butthole warts. <laughs> no. Let's see. What else could it cause? Let's see here. Ooh, it causes early dementia. Uh, this one's from Forbes. Let me see what the date on it is. And if it'll shut down three hours ago, new warning about zero calorie sugar substitute. What experts are saying about erythritol sugar replacement erythritol has been coveted as a sugar substitute for those at high risk of heart issues like diabetics and those with obesity. But a recent study found the sweetener may actually increase the chances of cardiovascular problems like blood clotting and heart attack. And they're showing equal and Splenda on there. So. Well, thank God I don't eat Splenda. Erythritol, a white crystalline powder, is used as an almost zero-calorie sugar replacement with sweetened monk fruit, stevia, or ketogenic reduced sugar products, according to a 2017 study published in Science Direct. The FDA labels erythritol, erythritol as, quote, generally recognized as safe, meaning no long-term safety studies on its effects are required for its use. People with pre-existing conditions that put them at a higher risk for heart complications like diabetes may be twice as likely to have a stroke or heart attack if they have high levels of erythritol in their bloodstream. Some of the notable foods erythritol is found in include Halo Top Low Calorie Ice Cream, Buy Antioxidant Drinks, and Blue Sky, a Coca-Cola brand, craft sodas. Erythritol is also found naturally in mushrooms, fruits like grapes, watermelon, peaches, and pears, and in fermented foods like beer, 
soy sauce, wine, cheese, and sake. Okay, what gets me is it automatically is produced naturally in fruits. So they're telling us to stop eating those fruits? Well, they didn't say stop eating it. It's saying that the sweeteners with erythritol. And see, I'm... I know, but you said grapes. Yeah, that's, that's what it's found in that naturally but that's what i'm saying naturally should i stop eating grapes i think it's the 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 lab re redoing it and change compositions because mm. it said mushrooms which i eat a lot of mushrooms and you're not going to use mushrooms as a sweetener no so i didn't even mushrooms, know, I'm, I'm, any Anytime I've ever had mushrooms, I don't ever taste the sweetness. But, I mean, there could be some there, but I don't, you know. Well, I think it's just the chemical they've used to, when they take it away from it, they can make the sweetener out of it. But I don't really know. But like yeah. I said, there was there was an article that I shared on social media, and it literally said Splenda. And I'm going to see if I can find it on my Twitter, because it might be easier to find than my facebook well you're fine but what, what's the next one we can talk about um the next one was going to be another drink and that is this is from gear.com liquid death thirst murdering iced tea okay remind me what liquid death is I, i've never heard of it before today to my knowledge but the article reads, you're probably more familiar with liquid, liquid death marketing than its taste. The canned water brand made a splash with its 2022 Super Bowl commercial that featured children and pregnant women slamming melting skull-clad tall boys to Judas Priest's ball. The, the brand's canned still. I don't really know how this is supposed to read. The brand's canned still. Sparkling and flavored sparkling water is packaged like beer and marketed with a cheeky sense of danger. Their tagline is murder your thirst and their cans paraphrase P. Diddy by imploring you to, quote, recycle or die. But if you've tasted liquid death, the sparkling variety anyway, you know it is worth the hype. Their flavors are big and bold and the addition of agave syrup as a sweetener which counts for the water still low three grams of sugar and 20 calories per 16.9 ounce can, gives it the edge over competitors in the flavor department. Now, for the first time, Liquid Death is expanding beyond water with a range of iced teas. Will they also, quote, murder a competition? I tried the entire range to find out, and I'm not going to go through the range, but I'm going to... One flavor, Armless Palmer, also contains lemon juice concentrate. It says the drinks contain non-carbonated water, agave nectar, black tea, citric acid, natural flavor, and two B vitamins, B6 and B12. Um, the flavors, Grim Leafer, Earl Grey style <laughs> black tea flavored with bergamot citrus. Grim I'm Leafer. Sure I'm mispronounced that. Rest in peach, black tea flavored with peach, apricot, and pear. Now that sounds good right there. That one I would try. An armless Palmer, liquid death's take on an Arnold Palmer, and the best pun here, I, in my opinion, this is a mix of black tea and lemonade. It's also the only flavor to contain fruit juice. So, 
I'm not big on lemon flavored tea, never have been. So I've never tried Arnold Palmer iced tea and don't have any plans to do so. I, I have a problem with these companies out there that is mass producing these teas and are you. Well, black tea is what's been used. I mean, Lipton uses orange pico, but. But what uh, I'm saying is black tea is some of the cheapest tea on the market. It is. It's one of the cheapest teas they could possibly use. Why not use green tea? Why not use, you know, something? Don't use black tea. That's the most, that's like the generic tea. Uh, I, I just know. Yeah. Tea is life, and I will drink it. Oh, I know. Tea has a lot of, you know, tannins. It has a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff that's in there good for you, but give me a good green tea any day. There is this place called, up in Blown Rock, called the Coffee and Tea Emporium or something like that, or Exchange. And I get my green tea, my pomegranate green tea from up there. Oh, my God. It is so delicious. Oh, you can see the big chunks of tea leaves from the green tea and the pomegranate that's actually in the tea to make it. And it tastes so good. And I put just a little bit of honey in it and a little splash of lemon. No lemon. No lemon in my tea. And lemon, is actually, lemon is actually extremely good for you. High in antioxidant. Tons of um, digest, the, the vitamin C in the lemon actually helps clean your system out uh, because the citric acid will clean everything out and it also detoxifies you. So it does a lot more than just flavor the tea. Well, it's, it's not lemon that I'm against, which I don't ingest a lot of anything lemon, but I just don't like lemon in my tea. I don't know what it is about lemon in my tea, but I've never been a fan of lemon tea. And I don't like lemonade, but as far as teas go, like I can drink mint tea, peach tea, passion fruit, raspberry. I mean, so many flavors of tea that I love, but and like right now, I think I've got the purple acai blueberry, and then I've got the which is brewing as we're recording, and then I've got mandarin orange from Lipton tea bags. These are all green tea flavors, and they've got the I have done the lemon ginseng something that they do, and I'm not real big on that one, but it's okay. And the there's orange passion fruit jasmine, I think, which is good. There's a lot of good flavored teas in the tea bags, and, and that's what I use to make my tea. Yeah. But, but moving on, the next one is from vinepair.com. Hard Mountain Dew's newest addition is a Livewire citrus flavor. Apparently, Livewire is one of the biggest demanded flavors of Mountain Dew, and they now have the alcoholic version of it. Mm. While you're talking about that, I'm going to look up where I can find Hard Mountain Dew for sale. You keep talking. Well, I just I really didn't have much to say about it. I was Because I'm curious for myself. I want to see if I can't taste that. Go ahead. Uh, the, the only key points in this, Hard Mountain Dew Livewire launches this month according to a March 1st press release. The new malt beverage available only in 24-ounce cans 
provides drinkers with a, quote, jolt of orange citrus refreshment. The citrus flavor contains 5% ABV, zero caffeine, and 100 calories per the brand. It's the first flavor to join Hard Mountain Dew's core lineup since the brand's initial launch. So, uh, there's also a contest here. Hard Mountain Dew cheekily alluded to its recent drinks-related controversy with a promotional event to celebrate Livewire. The brand will host its, quote, definitely over 21 lunch party at a retirement community in Florida, and one lucky Hard Mountain Dew fan will be selected to attend for free. To enter, to enter, individuals can visit the contest website and share exactly how they would party during spring break in a retirement community. One winner and a guest will receive a flight to Florida, two-night stay at the retirement community, VIP invite to the party, and $1,000 cash prize. And I'm pulling up the website so I can let people know it is definitely over 21.com. That's definitely over written out dolls together and then without spaces the number two and the number one dot com and the first thing it says when you get here is are you over 21 years of age or older yes attend the most epic spring break party of all time with hard mountain dew live wire learn more enter now it's only available in certain states it's not available in north carolina well apparently it's available in florida where they're having the retirement it party it is available in Florida, Iowa, Oklahoma, Tennessee, um, Montana, Arizona, Ohio, and Las Vegas. That's it. I won't be missing anything. I was really wanting to try it. But there is a link here that says buy online and ship it to you. So I might have to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't drink alcohol, so it's, I'm not going to be missing I'll out. I'll have to crack one up and just taste it and see what it tastes like. I wonder if it yeah. tastes like um, Mountain Dew with hairspray. Because <laughs> to me, vodka tastes like hairspray. Did, did you have any drink things that you want to talk about before we move on? Or The only thing I have is that Peeps. Okay, so now we're up to snacks now. And this is from tasteofhome.com. Guess what Reese's is introducing now? I don't know. Something magical, I hope. Animal crackers. Oh. Really? The article okay. is titled, These New Reese's Animal Crackers Are Giving Us All the Nostalgic Vibes. It says, What are Reese's Animal Crackers? This, this simple yet delicious snack is exactly how it sounds. Reese's peanut butter and chocolate dipped animal crackers. It's something I truly didn't know I needed until this moment. Reese's and animal crackers create the perfect combo. Both have such an indelibly strong nostalgia factor. We even voted Reese's the most nostalgic peanut butter cup money can buy. There's something special about seeing them around your house. They make you feel like everything's going to be okay. There are so many different and interesting ways to use animal crackers. You can make a party animal snack mix, a cheesecake crust, or even turn them into adorable little ice cream sandwiches for the kids. And you, too. 
Now imagine all these amazing recipe ideas with an irresistible coating of chocolate and peanut butter. You'll be de dessert royalty to all your friends and family. Then where can I get them? Currently, these tasty, tasty treats are available at retailers nationwide for a limited time. Check your regular spots before they're all snatched up. You can also grab a 4.25-ounce bag online from Hersheyland, Amazon, and Grandpa Joe's Candy Shop for around $5 a bag. Pick them up before they're gone forever. And oh. this was published February 24th, 2023, so it's been about a week since this came out. Um, I wouldn't mind trying those and finding them. Um, so, but guess who else came out with animal crackers? Who? Well, I saw at the grocery store last night, and uh, you know he got the graham crackers. You know the graham crackers where all those are at. I was looking at the bottom shelf, and you, are you familiar with the company Kodiak Cakes? Kodiak, somewhat the brand, the brand Kodiak. Uh, they have a box of. Graham crackers, and it's like seven grams of protein per serving for those graham crackers for the animal crackers. I was like, how "What? Many, how many crackers are in a serving?" That's the question. I didn't count, but I did see on the box it says, "Is I think it was seven grams of protein per you know for a serving of crackers." So, anyway, I thought that that was interesting. A Kodiak cake came out with that. But from a candy bar making animal crackers to a dessert company using candy bars for their snacks. This is from bakemag.com. Hostess innovates with candy bar inspired snack cakes. Candy Hostess bar brand Bank introduced Kaz Bars, its first breakthrough innovation of the year at the consumer analyst group of New York in conference in Boca Raton. Described by the company as a, quote, first-of-its-kind candy bar-inspired innovation within the snack cakes market, Hostess Caz Bars combines layers of soft chocolate cake, cream, candy crunch, and caramel or smooth chocolate fudge. The bars are covered in a rich-flavored chocolate, or rich-flavored, a rich chocolate-flavored coating and topped with a drizzle. And... The two in the picture are Casbar's Creamy Crunchy Layer Bar, Chocolate Caramel Made with Real Caramel, and Creamy Crunchy Layer Bar, Triple Chocolate Made with Real Cocoa. And doesn't give any kind of candy bar name that I'm seeing. It says Sweet Crunch Pieces in there, but it does not say what candy bars they are. So, but anyways, they sound good, but the only thing with Hostess is they use animal fat in their products, and therefore I don't eat them. Animal fat? Yes. Hostess Twinkies use animal fat in the cream. Well, I didn't know. Well, I, I can't tell you the last time I ate a Twinkie anyway, so I don't know, so... You know what is good and tastes the same from what I remember and does not have animal fat in the cream are the Little Debbie Golden Creams. Oh, I've tried those. Those are good, too. Yeah, they're they're pretty much Hostess Twinkies without the animal fat from what I've gathered. Cool. 
But from the sweet snacks to the salty snacks, this is from usatoday.com. Pop it yourself. AMC Movie Theater Popcorn coming to Walmart with new at-home snack line. Ooh. The nation's largest movie theater chain announced Tuesday, and this was published on February 28th. It's launching a new line of microwave and ready-to-eat popcorn products that will be exclusively available at Walmart. The home popcorn will be available in select Walmart stores on March 11th, the day before the 95th Academy Awards. And eight will be on the shelves at more than 2,600 Walmart locations and on walmart.com. The six-count microwave popcorn varieties are expected to sell for $4.98 retail plus tax, while the ready-to-eat popcorn bags are expected to sell for $3.98 plus tax. The flavors include classic butter, extra butter, and lightly salted. You would think, now I'm, I don't know about AMC, but I worked at Carmike, who sold out to AMC. And Carmike did what they called the gourmet popcorn. And they had caramel and chocolate, and they had strawberry and blue raspberry, and I don't know what all of the flavors they had. But you would think they'd do some of those in this. See, I'm a purist. Just give me my regular popcorn. Well, I will say it surprised me how good the chocolate popcorn was, because I thought it was going to be really nasty. And I really enjoyed it. Like it, it kind of tastes like cocoa puffs. Remind me, which theater was the Carmike? I can't remember. Any any theater that's an AMC now might have been a Carmike, but all of them around here that are AMCs were Carmike. Well, where was your Carmike that you worked at? I can't remember. We had the Terrace Theater, and then built the Twelve Plex behind the mall, which is now like a fifteen screen theater. Oh, so that was a Carmike. Okay. Yes. I can't remember that, but I remember Carmike, but I can't remember the locations. Okay. Yeah, the AMC in Asheville, there at the Target, it was a Carmike. Uh, the theater in Shelby was a Carmike. I remember that one being a Carmike, yeah. Um, uh, the, the, the Falls, not, it was at Granite Falls. There was one small town that had a Carmite. Lenore? Pitched it down. What? Lenore? Lenore has like a one movie. Lenore Carmite shut down. And it was reopened by somebody else, I believe. I think it's got two screens or something like that. Like Morganton had a Carmite theater, which the building still stands there. Where the Aldi and the the Ace Hardware and yeah. all that are there's an old movie theater there that's now a church. That was a Carmike. Okay. But it closed a long time ago and then um is it Marquis in there in the downtown with their theater now. But yeah, Carmike sold out to AMC, which really surprised me because I didn't see Carmike selling when Carmike was like the largest theater chain in the world at one point. Wow. And now, I guess AMC is now, right? I guess. Because I don't Carmike see... closed a lot of locations, but if AMC see... bought out to Carmike, that should have boosted them way up. 
Yeah, I was going to say Regal. I don't see Regal being a big one. Well, Cinemark, Regal, Marquee, those are the only other big theater chains that I can think of right offhand. And we've got Marquee here. I'm thinking there's a Cinemark in Asheville. And, but anyways, there's lots of theaters that are AMC now because yeah. they bought out Carmike. And the, there was the AMC in Charlotte. So I don't know if they have an AMC and then bought out the Carmike and have a, another AMC now, or if they shut down. There's still AMC 22 in South Charlotte. Well, I'm thinking because there was one, I saw Avita and Blair Witch there and I'm thinking it was Concord Mills AMC. There's a Concord Mills AMC. There is. And and that one was always AMC. But and there was a car mic in Charlotte. I can't remember where it was. And that's where the... Oh, God. What's that big theater screen? IMAX. IMAX is located there in Concord. Which AMC in Hickory has the big D screen. Do you know that that screen only lacks like 12 inches to be called IMAX? Um, they also lack to having to pay for the, the name IMAX. So only 12 more inches and it'd be as big as a IMAX screen. Because let, let me just off, off topic altogether here, but I'm thinking of it. So we're going to talk about it like we always do. Yeah, and we go off on tangents. So. When, when I worked at the the Caramite, they had us take down the Dolby Theater signs. Why? Because they didn't want to pay. Or not the Dolby Theater. What was was it the Dolby? Which one's the one that looks the George Lucas did? THX. THX. Yeah. The THX signs had to come down while we were there because they no longer wanted to pay to use the name THX. Even though it was there. Yeah, you had to be certified yearly and pay for the use of the name because George Lucas doesn't have a lot going for him other than Star Wars, but he still had Star Wars at the time. So basically when they did the the new trilogy, after that they took down the THX signs because nobody really cared outside of Star Wars. Wow. I mean, it's it's true. You got Star Wars and THX. It was George Lucas's sound, and all it was was a design. It really was like you had to have the volume at a certain level. It had to be a certain style theater. Had to have, I think, sound paneling on the walls to be a THX screen. It was the design more than anything. Wow. So, but anyways, back to topic. Still on snacks. This is from businesswire.com. So clucking good. Baskin Robbins launches sweet and savory new flavor of the month, chicken and waffles, and hosts first bottomless ice cream brunch. And this is C-H-I-K apostrophe N because it's meat-free chicken. Gross. Well, I, I don't do... 
the chicken and I've still... I mean, I've ate chicken and waffles, yes, in restaurants, yes, I've done it many times, but in an ice cream, ugh. But that's, that's going I too far. Going to... I mean, come on. Remember I told you a couple weeks ago on here that Morningstar Farms was doing the chicken and waffles, and they have them at Walmart, and it's like two sandwiches for almost eight bucks. And I was like, I'll pass on that. Because I don't know if I'm going to like it or not. And eight bucks for two. And that's at Walmart. That's not like high end groceries. That's at Walmart. You're not going to find it cheaper. Now, hold on. The Walmart is real highfalutin around these areas, are Chris. No, you're, you're getting it confused. Target is. Now, now Walmart, you can wear your jam- pajamas too and go there. But Walmart, but Target, you gotta dress up and go there. Walmart, you wear your pajama pants. Target, you wear your tuxedo T-shirt. You gotta wear. That, that's the difference. But I like that tuxedo T-shirt. Do you know what's real true? This is a, this is the God's honest truth. My uncle had to go to. <laughs> I can't believe I'm telling you this. And anybody who wants to listen to this, my uncle is so redneck. He is my daddy's brother, and God rest his soul, he's dead now. But he had he had no fancy clothes to wear to court, but he wore a tuxedo t-shirt to, to court. Well, that's fancy right there. I could have died. And I had to go pick him up from that court case. I could have hid underneath my car when I picked him up. I'm serious. Well, at least you didn't have to go in with him. Think of it that way. Thank God for tinted windows. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Anyways, back to topic. You can't make this shit up. You can't. It's real. The the article reads five (coughs) words. Chicken and Waffles Ice Cream. Yeah. Debuting the March Flavor of the Month, Chicken and Waffles features buttermilk waffle-flavored ice cream with plenty of crispy chicken and waffle-flavored bites drizzled in a decadent bourbon maple syrup-flavored swirl. Inspired by the iconic brunch duo Chicken and Waffles, this latest scoop from Baskin-Robbins is a must-try for adventurous eaters and traditional ice cream fans alike. Sweet, savory, creamy, and crunchy, this scoop delivers breakfast, lunch, dinner, and dessert all in one bite. No meat, no problem. This unique ice cream has been expertly crafted to mimic the taste of fried chicken, but the best part is it contains 0% real chicken and is 100% delicious. Chicken and waffles is sure to blow your mind and your taste buds this month. Don't block it till you try it. But yeah, I... I'm a vegetarian. This is a vegetarian ice cream, and I still won't be eating it. I'll take a hard pass on that one. And we're. Did you have any snacks or anything? Uh. I got like we're moving into the restaurant stuff now. No, I don't. No, okay. I don't have anything. Well, this next one's boom Buffalo Wild Ring. Buffalo Wild Wings introduces new Buffalo Ranch sauce and new honey garlic sauce. Mmm, honey garlic. Buffalo Ranch offers a creamy combination of two iconic sauces that wing lovers crave, while honey garlic is a savory, sweet, and sour combination of two iconic flavors. 
and says something about a chance to win, but it doesn't say when they're coming or if they're just in the restaurants. Arriving just in time for March Madness. So apparently they are now. But there's only like two paragraphs on this thing and that's all it's saying. But I, I'm i not looking forward to either one of those. One, I don't like spicy. And two, honey garlic just seems... I, I don't know about that. I'll try honey garlic because I love garlic anything and I like honey, so I'll try it, you know. Next up, do you like Wendy's chili? I love Wendy's chili. Well, I got good news for you. This is from tastingtable.com. Hand Wendy's chili to become available at grocery stores. Ooh. Chili is one of the food items most associated with Wendy's, and for good reason. It was an original menu item when the fast food franchise first opened back in 1969, and it has remained on menus ever since. In fact, chili is offered at each and every one of the chain's nearly 6,000 U.S. locations. That says a lot about its popularity. So, too, does the staggering number of servings sold each year. 83 million servings in 2020. I believe it. Um, there is a channel on YouTube called How It's Made, and one of them is shows how the, the kitchen of Wendy's kitchen of kitchens shows how they make Wendy's chili, and it's actually really interesting. Yeah, we've, we've watched some of those at the, at the hospital because it's kind of an educational show to show them. Yeah, we're supposed to do more educational programming weekdays, but it's it says Wendy's canned chili will be in stores in 2023. I'm not seeing a launch date though. But they will be white label cans with the Wendy's on there. And it's, so it's Wendy at the top of the can. Name Wendy's in red, then blue chili, and then the picture of the chili in a cup. Also, it's going to be like a can of chili. It's going to be sealed in a can. Yeah, it's Wendy's canned chili. Okay. I was thinking it's going to be like refrigerated or something. Okay. I, I can see that. Okay. Shelf life. Okay. That's so good. You can take it with you wherever you go, and then you won't even have to drive to, to Wendy's to get filled up on gas. You'll be able to do it from the comfort of your break room. Filled up on gas. Um, before you changed over to your your eating thing right now, the way you are, did you ever try Wendy's chili? Do you remember it? It's been 30 years. Oh, she so really can't remember. I don't remember if I did or not. It it didn't stick with me. I probably did not. Yeah. Because I, I was never big on Wendy's to begin with. Like McDonald's and Burger King were where I'd go. Taco Bell. And Taco Bell was great when I went vegetarian, too, let me tell you, because substitute the meat with beans, and you were good to go. Yeah, I've had their black bean burritos, and those are actually really good. But, but speaking of Burger King, as I mentioned just a minute ago, this is from businesswire.com. Burger King kickstarts spring with the return of melts and new spicy chicken fries. Spicy chicken fries. The classic melt, spicy melt, and bacon melt 
And they've got descriptions here. Classic Melt features two slices of toasted bread layered with two flame-grilled Whopper Junior patties, melty American cheese, caramelized onions, and stacker sauce. Spicy Melt features two slices of toasted bread layered with two Whopper Junior patties, topped with melty American cheese, jalapenos, caramelized onions, and a creamy spicy sauce. Bacon Melt features two slices of toasted bread layered with two Whopper Junior patties, melty American cheese, crispy bacon, caramelized onions, and stacker sauce. In addition, starting March 9th, BK Royal Perks menu members can continue getting exclusive benefits they can't find anywhere else. To celebrate the launch of Milts, loyalty members can enter the, quote, Royal Miltness sweepstakes via the BK app and BK.com win instant prizes worth more than $200,000, a chance to win a grand prize, and across a special lineup and access a special lineup of Melt Meals. In addition to bringing melts back to menus across the country, Burger King will also be launching spicy chicken fries. Seasoned to perfection with a blend of spices that are sure to pack a punch, spicy chicken fries are the latest innovation for the product lineup following past iterations of the product, including buffalo chicken fries, pretzel chicken fries, jalapeno chicken fries, and more. So, if you want some spicy chicken fries, you can go to Burger King. You know I'll be passing. Now, I love their chicken fries. I don't know about those spicy chicken fries. And one thing, and I know Burger King is one of the better restaurants to go to for burger franchise that uh, that caters to vegetarians. Because Hardee's has eliminated the veggie burger from their menu. You can still get it at Carl's Jr. Can't get it at Hardee's and doesn't make any sense at all. That doesn't McDonald's make sense. has introduced the plant to like 600 of its locations instead of nationwide but burger king has had the impossible whopper for several years now and impossible whopper is actually really good i've had it several times i have too i love it and me i can't really tell in fact i think it tastes better than the whopper and the the way to tell the difference usually on the impossible burger or any kind of veggie burger and a regular hamburger and you can't really with with fast food restaurants, but to look at it, the the veggie burger is perfectly round, whereas a beef patty is patted together, and there's like it's not perfectly round; it's kind of broken around it. Yeah. So, but I get the Impossible Burger at Applebee's. I get the Impossible Whopper at Burger King. They're very good. Um, Speaking of, I ate at a Hardee's for the first time in eons this past weekend. And I got the famous Star Burger with French fries and a drink. And it was $11. $11. Yeah, everything's gone up. But hold on. Whenever I tell you that burger was made like it was on the picture... It was made like it was on the picture. That was a beautiful burger. They got to get that five star in. They had leaf lettuce, those Roma tomatoes sliced up, perfectly placed onions on it. I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better looking burger and a better tasting burger too because it was made fresh. And the french fries was made fresh for me too. And I was like, I felt like a rock star. 
that food was delicious. It really, really was. And I thought Hardy's up their damn game when they came out with this burger. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll have to take your word for it because, you know, I won't be eating it. Oh, I know. I know you don't eat that, but I'm just saying it looked like the picture on the menu board. And that is something you don't see. But now what I was going to say with these milks that they're doing, you would think they would offer a vegetarian version. I mean, I know the bacon milk, they're not going to have the veggie bacon because they don't have it. But the spicy milk and the classic milk, you would think they'd offer an impossible classic milk and an impossible spicy milk, which may come down the line. But I more than anything, because I really don't want that, I want them to get the impossible chicken in the U.S. nationwide. I bet you would ask for it. They could make it that way. Uh, I've. They won't substitute the the coupons. Like when it's a Whopper, they will not substitute it for an Impossible Whopper on the coupons. But they won't send out coupons for Impossible Whoppers. No, so, what I'm saying is, I don't think they will. That's what I'm saying. It's, if they won't swap the coupon, I don't think they'll swap the the um, burgers either. Well, you can always ask. Well, like I said, I don't want that. All they, but, all they can say is no. But I would I would love to see the Impossible Chicken nationwide at Burger King. And Burger King does have the good deal with the two for six where you can get the Impossible King instead of the Impossible Whopper. It's basically the same thing with just a few less condiments on it. Because I think it has lettuce but no tomatoes on the Impossible King. Yeah. But moving on, KFC today.com. Kentucky Fried Chicken will soon simplify its menu by eliminating items, but is bringing back an old favorite. And they announced today that there's another old favorite coming back. But this article says on February 9th, Kentucky Fried Chicken announced several items are on the way out Wayne's popcorn chicken, Nashville hot sauce, strawberry lemonade, and chocolate chip cookies. But not to worry, nothing is happening to KFC's finger picking good buckets of chicken that have been wedding appetites since 1952. Um, I'm trying to scroll down and see. Here it is. Now for the good news. KFC wraps are back. KFC wraps are finally back after a successful 2022 test run in Atlanta, Georgia. Georgia. Starting February 6th, the menu item is available again at participating restaurants nationwide for a limited time. So, what does the wrap consist of? It says, first, the classic chicken wrap consists of a hand-breaded extra crispy tender with pickles and mayo. The other more capsaicin-forward option is called the spicy slaw chicken wrap, which covers an extra crispy tender and a mix of KFC coleslaw, spicy sauce, and pickles, which just sounds nasty. Like, coleslaw is just, I don't like it. It sounds disgusting. It looks bad. So, yeah. The, if they had the, the vegetarian version with pickles and mayo, that one I'd get. But the, the other one, the spicy slaw chicken wrap, not a chance of me getting it. But that's not the only thing coming back to KFC. This one's from CNN. KFC is bringing back a fan favorite after a nearly 10-year hiatus. 
Kentucky Fried Chicken is bringing back a legend after nearly a decade. The KFC Double Down is coming back for a limited time as of March 6th. The instantly recognizable creation replaces the bread that's found in a typical sandwich and uses two fried chicken fillets in, as the bun. In between are two slices of cheese, bacon, and a choice of mayo or spice sauce. The Double Down made its debut in 2010 and sold more than 10 million sandwiches. Despite that, the chain said back then that sales of the sandwich were, quote, immaterial, and analysts said the Double Down sales were below expectations. But the Double Down generated more buzz than any test market item in KFC history, it said. Okay, i got to tell you a little something about that sandwich. Okay, one of my friends is a Canadian. He's from, he, he used to live in Canada, but he's here on a work visa in the United States. So I sent this screenshot over on a group text message from between me, him, and a couple other friends. He instantly wrote back and he said, I remember back in 2011, I think it was when, 2011? Anyway, he said, we used to cross the border from Canada to come to the United States to get those to eat because they were illegal in Canada. I said, what do you mean they're illegal in Canada? He said, they had too much salt and it was so much high in fat and um, cholesterol that Canadian can Canada, the food and drug administration there banned them in the, in Canada to be sold in restaurants because it was so bad for you. Well, I mean, it's honestly, it's, is it any worse than eating the bucket of fried chicken? I don't know. I just they banned them. Yeah, I understand that. I understand it's not good I guess for you. a bucket of fried chicken you'll share normally. Or you won't. Well, I'm saying, and I said in the normal circumstances, you would share that maybe one or two other people. But that, or, the two fried chicken breasts with the bacon and the cheese and everything in between it, that's a lot of calories and a lot of salt. Well, didn't they have a three-piece meal? I don't know. I know they had a two-piece meal. And that gives you, like, mashed potatoes and coleslaw or something and a biscuit. And this, basically, you're getting two pieces of chicken, cheese, and bacon. I'll tell you what. What what they really need to bring back is the potato wedges. What they need to bring back is the Beyond Chicken and make a sandwich out of it. Well, that too, but the potato wedges was the bomb. It pissed me off when he took them away. I, I wasn't as crazy about those. Like, they weren't bad, but because it pretty much the the Colonel's secret recipe on the fries. On the potato wedges? Yeah. It was. That's, I mean, it's nothing... Nothing against it, but it just, they were good. They just, I didn't have to have them. Yeah. But did you have anything you want to talk about before we move on to entertainment? Um, no. Okay, well, then first up, a big no from me because it's not written by Dr. Seuss. This oh, is the Guardian, the Guardian.com. Return of the Grinch, sequel to Dr. Seuss classic, will hit shelves before Christmas. And like I said, it's not Dr. Seuss. Now, it's Chris somebody is, else writing it. It's not a lost transcript. Nothing. I um, 
I read a little bit on the article, article, but I cannot under. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Is, isn't this going to be the animated version? I thought it was a book. I thought a this sequel to was... Doctor Seuss's okay. 1957 book, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, oh. to be published later this year. So it's a book. Oh, I thought it was the actual movie coming out with it. Okay. No, it's How the Grinch Lost Christmas. And it's the story one year on and see how the and see the green grouch try to prove he has grown to love the festive season. So it's gonna be all happy and loving and nobody wants that from the Grinch. They want it at the end of the show, but they don't want it all through it. So yeah, I'm a I'm a no on that one. It may turn out to be a huge hit, but who wrote it? I closed out the article. I don't know. Let me see. You're fine. You're fine. Don't worry about it. I can pull I it up. Like, I don't know if it's like a daughter of Dr. Seuss or a, or a son. I of, don't believe it's anybody in the family. Or a or your cousin. or It shows this September. I've, this article is from BBC.com. It's written and illustrated by two people with previous experience in the Dr. Seuss universe. It does not say who those two people are on this BBC article. But they have worked with Dr. Seuss projects then. It so. says in the universe. It does not say they work with Dr. Seuss. Well, I'm just saying they, they've worked with projects with Dr. Seuss, I guess. It's says, Dr. Seuss, whose real name was Theodore Seuss Geisel, died in 1991, but the book remains one of his most popular works. So, of course, you're going to bastardize it and try and cash in on something. And honestly, do you, and this is just hypothetical here, but do you think The Grinch would have been a success like it is without the 60s animated version? Are you even listening to me? I looked up Dr. Seuss, how much he's worth at his death. Uh, good night, Daddy. Love you. No. I don't either. I, I really think it would have just been kind of forgotten because like the cat in the hat you might remember, but there was an animated version, I think, in the 70s of The Cat in the Hat, and then the really bad movie with Mike Myers in the early 2000s. At the time of Dr. Seuss's death, guess how much he's worth? 20 million. 75 million at the time of his death. That's a lot of cheddar. To be, yeah, writing children's, to be writing children's books. Yeah, but it's not just children's books. It's the books, the movies, the TV yeah, specials. Green, the, green the, eggs and ham and all that. There's the, so. the merchandising. Yep. All that comes into effect. And let me tell you, in the past few years, I don't know who took control of Seuss's empire, but the past few years, the Grinch has really boomed in oh, the marketplace. 
Maxx. I remember at TG Maxx, we had in TG Maxx, we had in Grinch everything this past Christmas. It was Grinched out. Well, I've, I bought from Big Lots the big Grinch light up, like the, I think it's about 24 inches maybe. Yeah. PC. I've bought one of those. And of course, there's the big outdoor blow ups with the Grinch. There's the ornaments with the Grinch. There's the window decorations with the Grinch. Well, yeah, it's a, a Christmas classic and we love it, but it was never marketed like it is within the past five years before that I can ever remember. Oh, one of my friends uh, got a iPhone Grinch case for his phone this past year and he showed it to me. Yeah. It was it was his hand holding an ornament like that. Yep. And it's coming down. And he had the phone case for that. It's like they were, it was everywhere. Yeah, and it's I mean it, I I got I went to Hallmark and one of my friends, Vicky, she loves the Grinch. And anytime I see Grinch stuff, I send her a picture of it and tell her where it is. And they had a Grinch Valentine stuffed doll. I think it said, you stole my heart on the heart that he's holding. So, yeah, it's it's not just Christmas anymore. It's, it's hitting other... I'd, I wouldn't be surprised if there's an Easter Grinch before long. Well, that reminds me, um, it's already March, and Hallmark comes out with their Christmas wish book June the 1st. That's when you place your orders for all your Hallmark ornaments. Yeah. But, but moving on, did you want to talk about your your signing that you had pulled up? My what? The the deal that was reached. Oh, you're talking about Zendaya? Yep. Yes. Zendaya, um, I, I can't bring it up because I'll lose you. But Zendaya is now one of the highest paid female actresses in Hollywood now. Of $1 million an episode. On what, what show was that again, Chris? Euphoria. Euphoria. That's crazy. That's Jerry Seinfeld money. That's how much he got paid per episode back then for each one of his episodes of Seinfeld. And now she's getting paid a million dollars an episode. That is crazy. Yep. And the Friends got paid a million dollars an episode. I Honestly, the only thing I know of Zendaya in is Spider-Man movies. That's it. And she didn't really overly impress me in that role. So I don't know. We'll we'll see, but I don't know if she's worth it. But in other casting type news, this is from Variety, Zachary Quinto to lead NBC medical drama pilot Wolf from producers Greg Berlanti and Andy Serkis. And of course. Zachary Quinto is known to many for his appearances in American Horror Story, and he was Siler in Heroes, and he was Spock in the Star Trek movies of late. And I'm trying to see 
Here it is. Per the official log line, Wolf will follow, quote, a revolutionary larger-than-life neurologist played by Quinto and his team of interns as they explore the last great frontier, the human mind, while also grappling with their own relationships and mental health. So from that description, first thing that comes to mind is house for the brain. Yeah. So it could be really good. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. Next up from IndieWire.com, Robert De Niro heads to the small screen for Netflix's Zero Day limited series. And per the official logline, Zero Day asks the question on everyone's mind, how do we find the truth in a world in crisis, one seemingly being torn apart by forces outside our control? And in an era rife with conspiracy theory and subterfuge, how much of those forces are products of our own doing, perhaps even of our own imagining? Sounds potential. I don't know if it'll be good or not. De Niro, I mean, you can't deny that he's a powerhouse. Yeah. And another one from Netflix that I forgot... Did you see who is starring in his first television show ever on Netflix? No. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Really? Yep, this is from Screen Rant. Arnold Schwarzenegger's new Netflix role shows the secret to his success. Arnold Schwarzenegger's streaming venture, FUBAR, perfectly encapsulates the key to his career. The 75-year-old actor, former politician, and bodybuilder has certainly in, enjoyed an eclectic professional journey running the gamut from Mr. Universe to Governor of California. However, while his resume is as impressive as it is varied, his acting has always relied on two unique traits that have made a household name. As the FUBAR trailer demonstrates, this is just as true today as it was during Schwarzenegger's peak. And I don't know if it's giving the description... I think that shows about 15 years too late. I don't know, because he lost a lot of respect for me through the years and then gained a whole lot back when he did the Ukraine video. So, I mean... When was the last Terminator he was in? Because that was the last major film. A year or two ago? It's not been that that long. Maybe 2019. What was it? Terminator Genesis, I think, was the last one. Terminator Genesis, yeah. That was 2015, so I guess there it has been long. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been eight years. Wow. There's Terminator 6. What does it say? Because that said Terminator 5. Dark Fate was the most recent, and that was 2019. I, I knew when I saw the description on Terminator Genesis, that was not it. Terminator Dark Fate was in 2019, so it's not been that long. Four years. I haven't seen that one yet. So, Dark Fate was actually pretty good, but it's it doesn't really fit the other stories, which if you watch them, there's a lot of plot holes and non-coherent stories and all that, so... Uh, real quick from Deadline, just I'm just going to read the, uh, the headline. 
Javicia Leslie, who was Batwoman, and spoiler for anybody watching it that hasn't got up, caught up, Javicia Leslie is Red Death on the Flash this season, the Batman speedster. But she took over the role of Batwoman from Ruby Rose when Ruby Rose had all that trouble. But from Deadline, Javicia Leslie joins Caitlin Olsen and Daniel Sanjata in ABC's HPI remake pilot from Drew Goddard. Next up from The Hollywood Reporter, HBO Max orders it prequel series Welcome to Derry from Andy Muschietti. And of course, there's been talk about this. It is now given a straight-to-series order for Welcome to Derry. It's not just in development. It is a straight-to-series order now. So, so it's going to be coming you... on Netflix instead of the big screen. No, HBO Max instead of the big screen. It's a oh. series. Do you think that a prequel series to it will work. I don't know. It's how creative they are with it. It's tricky. Because, I mean, the, the groundwork is there. I mean, Stephen King absolutely laid the groundwork for this to work. Because it was every so many years that it would return. And these kids figured it out. What was it? Every 20... I don't remember years? the length of years it was. But like it was 24 years or 27 years, something like that. It would be all these kids start disappearing and then it, the murders would just stop. And then so many years later, they would happen again. And so many years later, it would happen again. So like I said, the groundwork is absolutely there to do the show. But will it work? That's the question. Can they pull it off? They're going to have to go like back in time. I mean, well, that's what a prequel does. So, but it's, I, I will definitely watch it and see what it's like. It'll be interesting. Yeah. But next up from bleedingcool.com, Mark Guggenheim and Howard Chaikin's Too Dead to Die actually on sale. And this, this is not the article I meant to pull up because they're actually creating a series out of it, I believe. Let me see what I got here. Here, Porter, Two Dead to Die movie in the works for Universal. 87 North will produce the film based on the action spy story from writer Guggenheim and artist Howard Chaikin. Universal has nabbed Too Dead to Die, a graphic novel from Arrowverse scribe Mark Guggenheim and artist Howard Chaikin, a comics veteran thanks to decades' worth of work at Marvel and DC. Uh, Too Dead to Die centers on Simon Cross, who used to be America's preeminent super spy back in the 1980s. Today, he's retired and generally washed up until the discovery of a daughter he never knew he had sends him out into the world for one last adventure. Image Comics published the title, which clocked in at 120 pages. So basically, they can get everything in the graphic novel into this one movie. Because yeah. 120 pages, that's your storyboards right there. Yeah. Um, next up, I've 
I've talked about my desire to see D- DC's Dead Boy Detectives. They appeared on De- on Doom Patrol. I love the characters on there. They're going to be different telling of the Dead Boy Detectives when they do their own series. But HBO Max is no longer producing it. It has moved to Netflix because DC is trying to get all of the James Gunn stuff on HBO Max and all the stuff that they're working on outside of that is starting to go elsewhere. So Dead Boy Detectives is still up and running. It's just moving to Netflix. And that's all the entertainment news I had. Did you, you had a couple others, I believe. Uh, entertainment? Um... Or any... Because all I've got left are those that we lost. Um, I just got to look at my phone. Well, while you're doing that, I will say I have not seen a date for Dead Boy Detectives yet. I don't even think it's actually gone into filming, but I'm still very much excited for it and hope that Netflix gives it a chance and does not cancel it right away like they do everything else that's really good. And Paul's still looking. I feel like one thing I wanted to talk about was how Eli Lilly has slashed insulin prices permanently by 70%. So I want to, you know, hats off to them for doing that. For a, There's a lot of seniors on fixed income that rely and on there was, there was a report today that I was watching the news and they talked about that. And they talked about the one who had to divvy out his insulin because he couldn't afford to pay for it. And he ended up dying because he was not getting enough insulin. And I'm sure that's not the only case, but that's the one they talked about. And the fact that let's not forget Democrats were instrumental in getting insulin prices lowered to $35 per mile. And that is huge. And Republicans were fighting them on the insulin cap. Oh, yeah, because they're all about big pharmacy. They're all about the because the pharmacies, the pharma companies pay them off. And while we're on that real quick, because it just made me think about another story that was making the rounds here lately is the origin of the COVID-19 virus. I, Uh, I saw the article, but I didn't read it. John Stewart is getting a lot of flat because he was siding with the right, saying that it was created in a lab in Wuhan. And he made good points. And the problem is there's now two U.S. agencies who have said they have nothing concrete, but they believe that the virus originated in the lab and escaped. So people are going to see that two agencies in the U.S. have deemed that COVID-19 was created in a Chinese lab, and that's all they're going to care about. There is no concrete evidence to support that claim. They just they have researched it, and that's what they have found to believe. So probable, but not definite. And they're not saying that it was intentionally leaked. It, seems to be accidentally leaked if that's what happened 
And they're saying part of the problem is that China would not allow anybody to go in and investigate. So that draws even more suspicion. I've got to tell you about someone that you know, and I'm going to tell you their name when we go to break. They're right now currently in the hospital fighting for their life. And it's not out. They don't want it on Facebook. So it's not, it's not on Facebook, but I'll tell you who it is. They got sick three weeks ago and they thought they just had a very bad chest cold and they ended up getting double pneumonia. Then their potassium levels dropped. Blood pressure went through the roof. Kidneys shut down. Verge of death. They're in the hospital now. They put an, an emergency port in them for um, dialysis. Um, they got the pneumonia cleared up and then they did an endoscopy and a colonoscopy on them today um, because they cannot figure out why her blood is so low and they've had to give her three units of blood while she's been inside the hospital. And they're thinking, they said they can't test her for COVID, but they're thinking that all this came from her getting COVID. But she had the shots. This is proof it and, will fuck this is proof this will fuck you up. And, and she's healthy. Not everybody and she's healthy. And she was healthy before all this happened. And again, not everybody will be one hundred percent from the this vaccination. Like I said, I got vaccinated and the then I have had two boosters since and the last booster I got or I was exposed to COVID, and of course I got COVID again, but it was very mild symptoms. Yeah. And that's the other thing people aren't looking at, is the vaccine helps prevent long-term effects. So that's oh, the major. But, but and, this one hit her out of nowhere. I'll tell you who it is when we get off the get off this, because she doesn't want to broadcast. Well, there's also another issue that I saw where they're saying the masks don't work is the latest finding. But that report was flawed, and I shared an article, I think both on Twitter and Facebook, that showed the flaws in that because masks worked with people with COVID, but they did multiple viruses in that study and combined them all into one. So when it worked, for COVID and didn't work for like the cold or the flu or whatever else was in there, it brought the percentage levels down on effectiveness. So yeah. it essentially makes COVID look like it's not protected by the mask, and it is. And I've said it before, Christmas 2020, we knew the risks. I met, went to have Christmas with my brother and his family, and I said, let's wear a mask because we don't know who we've been around or what we've been exposed to. So play it safe, wear a mask. And we all wore masks in his house. And hours later, I came, like the symptoms showed, like like three hours after I left his house, they showed up. And But what gets me, you, you would have been exposed to it about two weeks prior to that. Yeah, and I tested positive. And I got it really bad. If y'all listen to the podcast, you heard me coughing. Oh, I remember. And not one of them tested positive for COVID. One of my nieces got sick and tested, and she was negative. 
The rest of them, not even a symptom. Now just imagine if he didn't have on that damn mask. Yep. So the masks do work if you use them and use them properly. Yeah. So, but did you have anything else you want to talk about before we move on to those we lost? Or no, I'm good. And I'm I'm going to go through some of these really quick because I really don't have a lot to say just because I don't know a lot about them. First up is from Cinema Blend Creature from the Black Lagoon actor and James Bond contributor Rico Rical R I C O U Browning is dead at 93. And of course, he was the original creature in the Black Lagoon, I believe. No, that would have been my uncle. <laughs> no, this this is the actor who portrayed him. <laughs> but, it says originating the legendary cre- creature that could have returned in Universal's Dark Universe, Raquel Browning would play the creature in its 1954 origin story as well as the first two sequels. Next up is from People.com. Disney animator Bernie Mattinson, company's longest tenured employee, dead at 87. It says, Bernie Mattinson began working as an animator at Disney with 1955's Lady and the Tramp. And so you know he has a rich history with Disney if he was there And you know he has a lot of stories, too. Yep. I just wonder if he wrote any of it down. Next up is somebody we don't know the name, but we definitely know the work. From the Washington Post, Tom Whitlock dies at 68. Danger Zone lyricist helped Top Gun soar. He and composer Giorgio Moroder collaborated on the film's biggest songs, winning an Oscar for Take My Breath Away. Those are the only two songs that it mentions is Danger Zone and, and Take My Breath Away, but who doesn't know those two songs, honestly? Oh, those are, are iconic on that, on that album. Next up is from ScreenDaily.com. U.S. producer Chris Chesser dies age 74. Hollywood independent film and documentary producer Chris Chesser, best known for producing 1989 Paramount comedy Major League, has died at 74. And, of course, Major League was a huge hit. Very funny movie. I'm not a big baseball fan, but that movie was good. Yeah. Next up from NBC News, Jansen Panettiere, actor and younger brother of Hayden Panettiere, died from an enlarged heart, his family says. The 28-year-old died February 19th in New York City. Quote, his charisma, warmth, compassion for others, and his creative spirit will live forever in our hearts, his family said. And I believe he was working on The Walking Dead. That is so is young to die. And from an enlarged heart, I, it's just unfair. Yeah. It says, since the early 2000s, Jensen Panettiere had appeared in multiple television shows and, and played characters in series, including... Even Stevens, Third Watch, Everybody Hates Chris, and Major Crimes. In season nine of The Walking Dead, he played Casper in an episode titled The Calm Before. Next up is from Billboard magazine. Chuck Jackson, any day now, singer, dies at 85. 
He was the first to record tracks by Burt Bacharach. Talk about some major hitters there. Oh, yeah. I remember. Oh, I can play that song in my head right now. And he's the first person to record a Burt Bacharach song. Wow. So. And he had such a beautiful voice. Says the. They confirmed the singer's death in a Facebook statement, but did not cite an official cause. But at 84, 85, chances are it was more natural causes than anything. Yeah. And then finally, this is from BBC.com. Madonna's older brother, Anthony Ciccone, dies age 66. I didn't know he died. What happened? I believe he was in and out of rehab. The oh. the article reads, Madonna's older brother, Anthony Ciccone, has died at the age of 66, a member of his family has announced. Ciccone was one of the star's seven siblings and is said to have passed away on Friday night. He had struggled with alcoholism and was reportedly homeless for many years, at one point living under a bridge. His brother-in-law, Joe Henry, broke the news on Instagram, writing that he had, quote, exited this earthly plane alongside an old black and white photo of him. Quote, I've known him since I was 15 in the spring of our lives in Michigan, so many years now gone, writes singer-songwriter Henry, who is married to Madonna's sister, Melanie. The cause of his death has not yet been revealed. And at the time this article was written, she had not commented. Madonna, that was three days ago, but I did see an article earlier that Madonna breaks silence that Madonna paid for brother's care in final years of life from TMZ. Madonna visited brother Anthony in rehab before his death. Here it is, people.com. Madonna speaks out following Anthony, following brother Anthony Ciccone's death, thanking him for his, quote, important influence. Thank you for blowing my mind as a young girl, wrote Madonna on her Instagram story with a black and white throwback photo of herself with her late brother Anthony Ciccone, who died at age 66. He's not that much older. No. She is 64 and he's past 66. And it looks like it's the picture she posted was from around the Truth or Dare era. And it's got a arrow going to Anthony, but I think it's her siblings there at the table with her. Because I, I know Christopher Chidoni and the others look like they're Madonna's sisters. I mean, they look very much like her. So I'm guessing it's a picture of her with her family, her siblings. Oh, okay. And with that, we are at the end of the first part. Thank God. We'll be back with the top ten and reviews of I'll be reviewing The Whale because I finally got to see it. And we reviewed Megan and uh, Spoiler Alert. So stay tuned, everybody. Welcome back. First, let's start with the top 10 movies from Box Office Mojo. First up at number 10, holding at number 10 for a second week, is A Man Called Otto, which literally just premiered on digital this week. $851,568 in its ninth weekend, 
for over 62 and a quarter million total. Holding at nine is missing just over a million in its sixth weekend for 31.4 million total. Down from five to eight, a film that just came out last week on on digital, Knock at the Cabin. $1,870,895 in its fourth weekend for $33.9 million total. Down from six to seven, a movie I still desperately want to see, 80 for Brady, $1.9 million in its fourth weekend, over $36.5 million so far. Down from three to six, Magic Mike's Last Dance, just under $2.9 million in its third weekend for what seems to be a disappointing $3 million take so far. Down from four to five, it's Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, just over $4 million in its 10th weekend for just under $173.5 million so far. Now dropping from two to four, Avatar The Way of Water, $4.8 million in its 11th weekend for over $665.5 million. Debuting at number three is Jesus Revolution, which I know nothing about, but apparently other people do. $15,882,067 in its first weekend. Hey, Chris. Yeah. That's the story of Jesus. It's a movie about Jesus. Is that what it is? I, I've not seen any advertisement on it at all. All I know is it's from Lionsgate because it's what it says here. It's um, it's a story about Jesus, yeah. But it's, it's definitely not been heavily advertised for me to see, but somebody knew about it. It is on if you get on YouTube, it's it's all over YouTube. They're literally shoving that ad down your throat. Well, see, I've, I saw Magic Mike everywhere. I, I didn't see... I've not seen a thing on Jesus Revolution yet. Debuting at number two, another movie that I really want to see just because of the sheer absurdity of it. Cocaine Bear. $23,260,790 in its opening weekend. And it's holding at number one for the second weekend, but creating the record for the biggest drop-off in its second weekend for a Marvel film ever. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania, just under $32 million in its second week for $167,079,387 so far. What's the worldwide take on that one? Uh, let's find out. International is 53.4%, $196,154,352 for a total of $367,491,765 worldwide. Now, the one I'm curious about is the budget of cocaine there. 30 to $35 and said something about $32 million on there. Opening weekend was twenty three point two million. I think Cocaine Bear will break even. Um, the thing about Cocaine Bear is, I read a. There's been several people that's spoke up about it, like they were people reviewing it, and they said it is surprisingly good. <laughs> they said it's well, actually scary. I want to see it. One key takeaway on that film, whether you're a fan or not, is one of the last performances, if not the last performance, from Ray Liotta. Yeah. So, I mean, I the movie in its absurdity alone looks really good, but then you throw Ray Liotta in there. It's, 
I, I know. I'm all in. But first up, I'm going to do my Oscar pick for reviews this week. And spoiler, I am going to rave the crap out of this film. IMDb, well, first up, Letterboxd has it at 3.7 out of 5. IMDb has 7.8 out of 10 after 59,000 views. 65% after 313 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes for the Tomato Meter. 91% audience score with over 1,000 verified ratings. This film is absolutely amazing. I am all in on Brendan Fraser winning the Academy Award for Best Actor because he did such a phenomenal job in this movie. Like you watch him, you see him, you really believe that he is this 800 pound guy or however, however heavy he's supposed to be. They explain to you how he got so heavy. They have inner chain or inner connecting stories throughout the film that you don't really know how it's going to place until way into the film. You're never left with a moment of boredom. It doesn't, I mean, it's, it's not a fast paced film, but it's, there's no slow moment in it that you lose interest. And just like I said, the, the way Brendan Fraser moves, the way he breathes, the way he does everything in this film, you absolutely believe he is that heavy. The prosthetics and makeup they did for him is amazing. This is a film that needs to be seen. And you really feel for Charlie in this movie. Like, there is nothing bad that I can say for it. Supporting actress nominee Hong Chao is phenomenal. Like, I absolutely loved her character. You also, as the story goes on, you you think at the beginning that she's just his nurse, but you find out as the story goes along, there is a, another connection to why she's his nurse. And I literally, I cannot stop raving on this film. I, after watching it, I pre-ordered the Blu-ray from Amazon. I will own this film as soon as possible. Okay, Chris, <clears throat> is this a story about weight loss, or what is it? No, this is five days in his life. Mm. And it tells you the days as it goes along. I believe it starts on a Monday. And right off the bat, something they're not playing up, and it really doesn't need to be played up, but it's part of the story. You find out right away that he is gay in this film. Oh, and okay. the way you find that out, and spoiler, but it's the beginning of the movie, so it's not really a spoiler. He's watching gay porn and taking care of himself, and you're not seeing anything like nudity or anything, but you see him on the screen, you see his hand moving. Well, you know under, what's going on. Yeah. And he starts to have a heart attack. <clears throat> and he tries to get his phone, but he drops his phone on the floor. And then he starts reading an essay and he's having trouble reading the essay and a missionary knocks on the door and he thinks it's the nurse and he tells her to use her key and come in and the missionary comes in, finds him having the heart attack and he's like, here, read this to me. And 
the missionary's like, what? What should I call 911? He's like, no, no hospitals. Read this to me. And so he starts reading the essay of Moby Dick. Like it was an essay written about Moby Dick. And you don't find out who wrote the essay until about the end of the movie. And the all he'll say when when the missionary asks him why he wanted that read to him, he's like, it's a very good essay. And that's all he says about it is how good that essay was. And the nurse gets there, she takes his blood pressure, and I believe she said it was 234 over 134. And if you know anything about blood pressures, that's extremely super high. If you have a blood pressure like that, yes, get to emergency care right away. Because uh, I heard them say that, and I'm like, oh my, because you know, I take blood pressures daily at my job, so I know that's a really, really bad blood pressure. But, I mean, that's the only bit of the, the sex you see is right there at the beginning, and the the computer is so small on the screen where he's watching the gay porn, and you're not seeing any of the action that he's making it out what he's doing. I mean, you can see him full size, but his belly is covering everything. So, <clears throat> you know, it's, that's the only questionable moment of the film for people to watch. But the way you end up having such compassion for this guy who is so large, and like I said, you find out why he got so big as the story goes along. And I mean, it's just the way he lives and the reason why he lives that way. Just, it's just such an amazing film. Like, if he does not win this Oscar, Brendan Fraser is absolutely robbed of the Oscar. And I, you know, I raved on Austin Butler and his performance of Elvis. And I love Brendan Fraser, and I'm not going to deny that, but I'm not picking Brendan Fraser for best actor because I love Brendan Fraser. I'm picking Brendan Fraser for best actor because he was so extremely good in this role. And the, the thing that got me, which a lot of people will not notice was the aspect ratio of the film. Cause I, I was like, why is it in four to three? So I, before we recorded, I looked up, why was the whale filmed in, as, in that aspect ratio? And Google says, why was that? Why was the whale in four to three aspect ratio? The whale is presented in the four to three aspect ratio that crams Charlie into the frame and guarantees that the audience can't ignore the amount of space he takes up in the world. Charlie never leaves his apartment over the course of the film. And that is from the Whale Review Oscars Central. And it makes perfect sense. Like there's, there's always a reason why filmmakers do the things they do, why the cinematography is the way it is. And you may not realize it, but this was something that I noticed in like immediately because aspect ratios, I notice like if it's something that's been stretched into a widescreen picture, I notice it like Charlie's angels was changed into widescreen. I knew that it was not widescreen. They did the same thing with wonder woman on the broadcasts. But I can tell when something's not normal and this was not normal and doing it for that reason makes every bit of sense in the world. So again, another brilliant stroke with this film. 
And I I literally cannot say enough. I've told everybody that I know they need to watch it. And I I can't argue like there's no performance that's gonna change my mind now that Brendan Fraser deserves the Oscar. And um, you know, he just won a SAG Best Actor Award this weekend. So hopefully. Talking about Brandon Fraser, I um, follow this entertainment type thing on TikTok, and um, he was at an event this past weekend, and it showed him. Apparently, he's working out again, and he's looking great. Well, and, it, and it showed him, and I'm like, "Wow, he's getting his body back." Well, and if you we watched Furry Vengeance at work the other night. Because I was like, you know what? I just watched The Way I Love Brendan Fraser. I'm going to put on some Brendan Fraser movies. So we watched Blast from the Past, and we watched Furry Vengeance. And if you watch Furry Vengeance, which was, what, 15 years ago or so, <clears throat> he was starting to gain the weight. I mean, you could you could see it in that film that he had put on pants. And nothing, not knocking him. I'm not, I'm not fat shaming him, nothing, because we all do it. And, and he's had personal issues in his life that contributed to gaining weight. Yeah. And, but part of his weight gain was for this film because he started putting on weight. He wasn't going to put on 600 pounds to play this character, but he did put on weight probably so that the, the makeup and prosthetics would look more realistic. Yeah. Your face shows your weight and it's, you can't always get that, like your eyes and everything. You can't get everything perfectly. But they did phenomenal in this film. Like, I'm, I'm telling you, he look at the preview and you will see how amazing the the prosthetics are in this. And so he did gain weight for this film, and now that that's over, he can start losing some of the weight. But it's also like, like me, I've put on pounds through the years. I'm nowhere near 800 pounds. I'm not out of control weight. But I am heavier than I would like to be, and it's the heaviest I've ever been in my life. But I'm also at an age where it's harder to take off weight than it is to put it on. And so I have no willpower. And that's part of my problem. Like, I don't exercise like I should, and I eat all kinds of junk. So, yeah, you, taking a chore. Well, you saw what I just ate. I ate two chocolate chip cookies and a donut. But yeah. I do lift weights three days a week, and I do. I, I do work out five days a week. I just don't talk about it, but I do. But um, I just don't tell people what I do. But that, in my mind, I'm like, ooh, I can eat those cookies. <laughs> I always try to put in at least six six to eight miles a day, um, whether it's walking, jogging, whatever. And I try to do um, uh, 12 flights of steps a day. And then I do lunges and push-ups and dumbbell curls, all this other stuff. So I, do, I, I stay active every day. There's something, I'm doing something every day. Um, but I have to stay active because I can't gain weight because of what I've been through. It's impossible for me to gain weight because if I try to gain weight, it hurts. So anyway. And it's, it really is. It's, it's difficult to take off and if you have no willpower and you're lazy like I am, then and I do try to exercise several times a week for my back because I've had a lot of back issues here lately. But 
it's only so much is going to come off if you don't take care of everything else. So, but anyways, I will rewatch the crap out of the whale. That movie is amazing. It's a definite must see. Cannot stop raving on it. So, literally, when you get the chance, and hopefully it will come to HBO Max so even more people can watch it. But get the chance, watch it. You will not be disappointed in the whale. And with that, we'll move on to Megan, which just premiered on Peacock with both the rated and the unrated version. IMDb, well, first off, Collider, four out of five. Metacritic, 72%. IMDb, 6.4 out of 10 with 73,000 reviews. The tomato meter on Rotten Tomatoes after 299 reviews, a surprising 93%. The audience score with over 2,500 verified ratings, 78%. It's odd for a horror film to get a 93% critics, but it did. So, but you want to take the lead or you want me to take the lead? Me take the lead? You go ahead and I'll fill you in on what I think. Uh, I, can, I think we can all figure out where Paul's thoughts are. But, um, basically, I read that the, the differences between the unrated and the rated are the F-bombs that get dropped in the unrated version and a little more gruesomeness to the murders. But it's basically, it's a, a robot that's an AI and the, the one girl that they're focusing on that ends up with this doll, her parents are killed in a crash, which was, I mean, the crash was not really well done. But it's at the beginning of the movie, they're they're caught in the snow and they just stop in the middle of the road and can't see anything around them. And then they get hit by a snowplow, which you see coming right away. Like, there's no question about it. They're talking about it and then, boom, you know what's going to happen. But the girl goes to live with her aunt and her aunt's working at a toy company that made little Furby-like toys. And she's creating this Megan doll and... I can't remember what the, the abbreviation of Megan is, but anyways, that's the doll, and she gives the doll to the girl to try and comfort her, and the doll becomes obsessed with the child and starts turning a bit evil, and anybody who does the kid wrong, the doll kills. Is the essential story. And I enjoyed it. Clearly, Paul did not. What I would love to see is Megan crossover with Chucky. We'll see if that ever happens. But I, I liked it. So, Paul, what did you think? Oh, goodness. I was getting geared up for a horror movie, and this is far from a horror movie, if you ask me. Nothing scared me about this movie. Um, the whole suspense was building up to it that it was going to be the horror movie going to be a really good horror movie this was not a good horror movie this was just a sad attempt at a ai movie of almost kind of like um it kind of reminded me of um let's see i robot when ai goes wrong 
and um, with Will Will Smith. I don't know if you ever seen that movie, but it's like to what? No, because it's Will Smith. Yeah, I know that. But anyways, it's kind of like iRobotish. A robot just goes crazy and starts killing people because a little girl gets hurt and she's just very overprotective over it. And then ultimately, at the end, Megan gets killed. I mean, I mean, it's going to happen. But it they should not label it a horror movie. It should be labeled at all closely maybe a thriller. Maybe. Will I watch it again? No. Will I, will I tell people to watch it for curiosity reasons? Yes. Just watch it for pure curiosity. Was I bored with it? Sometimes, yes. The movie was a little boring here and there. But it, it did not capture the horror that, that they were just building up for it. It just, no. It just not, it's not there. So, um, not rewatchable status for me. I will not watch it again. Well, <clears throat> something that I think you will find interesting, regardless of what you thought of this movie, is <clears throat> basically it was a 13-year-old performing as Megan when the... I was, the I was thinking that had to be a real girl underneath there. Well, this is, this is IMDb trivia. As Amy Donald performed any of Megan's scenes that called for physical movement the puppet could not do. Here's the interesting part. 13-year-old girl, she also performed all of her own stunt work. Donald received movement coaching from Jed Brophy and Luke Hawker in portraying Megan's agility. On set, Donald wore a static silicone Megan mask created by Morat FX, and this was later replaced by a CGI version of Megan's face to match that of the animatronic. But a 13-year-old girl doing her own stunts in this movie, that's, that's pretty impressive. She had to be some had to probably have some kind of acrobat in or something under her belt. I mean, be able to do that. And I went to Amy Donald's page, and she has the actress credits for Sweet Tooth, the South Jury Horror Podcast, and Megan. So she's been in an episode of Sweet Tooth. One of the episodes of a podcast, the South Jersey Horror Podcast, and then she was the doll in May. Well, it looks like she's starting out um, pretty good, so good for her. I'm happy for her. I truly am. But it sucks. <laughs> it doesn't. It's a, it's a good story, but it's it the takes story, a while. The story's about. okay. I mean. There were some suspenseful parts, yes. It just, uh, I don't know. It just, it just didn't get me. Well, the also I, I did when I was talking about the changing from PG thirteen to unrated. The they actually said the unrated version is six seconds shorter. But it says the on IMDb trivia, the film was originally shot as an R-rated movie until the producers noticed while editing that it was close enough to PG-13. They reshot certain scenes to tone down the violence and believe that it became more effective than actually seeing the violence on screen. Jason Blum cited Drag Me to Hell as a good PG-13 horror film that was effective. And Drag Me to Hell was a good movie. And it was PG-13. 
And I believe the other one that he was in, the Jeepers Creepers, wasn't it PG-13, the first one? Yeah. So, I mean, you can make That reminds me, there's a new Jeepers Creepers movie out now. Um, The second one was bad. I didn't care for it. They changed the story because it wasn't so many years in between. And I don't even care to see the third because all I heard was all right. There's four Jeepers Creepers movies out now. Well, with as bad as the reviews for the third one were, why would you even make the fourth one? Well, apparently they're good enough to be making another one. I mean, Anybody? I mean, the, let's just face it: the Jeepers Creepers movie, the last one, probably had a budget of maybe like fifteen million dollars, and if it made forty million dollars at the box office, it was a smash hit. Then, so on that scale. But. Oh, here's something I, I didn't pick up on. The song Megan plays on the piano is Toy Soldiers, a 1988 hit from Martika. Oh, you didn't I catch that? that? You didn't catch that Toy Soldiers? You didn't catch that? No. And if I did, I didn't pay any attention to it. Yeah. Yeah, she played that. Anyways, obviously Paul said he would not rewatch it. I said I would rewatch it. I, I did rewatch it because I watched the rated and the unrated version. And well, I did I, notice a couple differences. Like, I noticed the F-words. I noticed the ear. And I, which, and I don't like the killing of the dog. But in this movie's defense, they didn't show anything. Spoiler. I know they, they didn't, didn't show it, but they supposedly, she supposedly killed the dog. There was no supposedly to it. She told you she did it. Well, yeah, you, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, what I'm saying is um, allegedly, because there's you didn't see it. <laughs> well, no, she flat out tells you she did it. So, but I did not like that. I mean, but anyways, kill all the humans you want to. Don't kill an animal. <laughs> well, it's, you kind of see it coming too, though. Like you know, it's going to happen. And with that, we will go to. The one Paul picked for us as a um, listener let me, request. Let me kind of fill you in. That was um, this this following movie is sent in by a request from one of my close personal friends, and he listens to the show. His I'm going to give him a shout out. His name's Brian Carico. He I've been friends with him for many, many, many years, and we've always kept in contact with each other. So this one's for you. Um, this movie, Chris, go ahead. You got okay. everything up in front of you. Metacritic gave it a 61% on IMDb with 3,200 reviews, 7.2 out of 10 on Rotten Tomatoes, 87 reviews. The tomato meter stands at 85% with 50 plus verified ratings. The audience score, 97%. And I agree and, with the. And I will say on those ratings, it's kind of a targeted audience for this. Because of the gay storyline. So, I mean, viewers who are willing to watch this are going to be open to the storyline, whether they're gay, straight, whatever. If they're willing to watch this movie, they're going to be accepting to this. And critics may have bias in them against the storyline, which could bring down the reviews. So with that, take it away, Paul. Remind me the name of the movie again. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. I'm, I'm... Based on Michael Asiello's book, 
spoiler alert dot 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 the hero dies at the end and um brian also informed me that this was a um movie based on a true story so this would did actually happen so yes michael osiello is a as it tells you in the, the movie that he was a reporter or still is i guess for a tv guy yeah so i mean it's it's a story about you know two guys that just randomly meet at a bar of course and one of the the main the main guys uh, uh, i can't say his name i'll know him as sheldon but jim parkins yeah him i love him as an actor this movie touched me on a different level than i thought it was going to happen because whenever i was told it was whenever i looked at that massage game movie i instantly rolled my eyes because Chris knows I hate to watch gay movies. Or any and kind of- this is a perfect example of why you need to get over your hate and start watching. Don't interrupt. So <laughs> I'm just telling you. The reason why, I'm going to tell you how much I love this movie. The reason why I love this movie, because it didn't seem like they were acting. And they didn't. This seemed real. The way they were you know, going back and forth with each other, you know, the way their their relationship was progressing. Um, Sally Field as um, as the mother. She's in this movie. Let me interrupt real quick because the, the Sally Field and Bill Irwin as the parents of Kit Cowan. Of Kit. I, yeah. I was I was watching an interview they were doing because I was watching a lot of the the interviews and stuff for this film over the weekend <clears throat> leading up to this show basically and sally field made the statement that both she and bill had or maybe it was the interviewer asked them that they both had children who came out and how it played into the way they played it and i mean i didn't know bill Irwin had a gay child i'm not sure lesbian gay male what what the situation is there but i knew sally field's son was gay and i knew sally field's been a huge proponent for gay rights for a long time i knew sally field had a huge gay following because of the flying nun and so like she is perfect for this role and they could both bring their experiences as having children come out which is like bill Irwin said i believe in that interview Everybody's experience with that is different, and it is. My story is not going to be the same as yours, and yours is not going to be the same as somebody else's. And you know, it's it's all different in that aspect. But having people that have gone through this can relate to the characters gives them an inside and an insight to these characters that somebody who hasn't gone through it would have which made them even better suited for the role. So continue. Um, well, this movie really, really did a great job. Um, like I said, it didn't seem like they were acting. Um, it's the day going in day in and day out of their lives. Um, you know, dinners, holidays. Um, I thought it was super sweet whenever um, Jim Parsons went and laid up underneath the tree and got his boyfriend to lay up underneath the tree as well because he did that every time when he put up the tree he would lay up underneath the tree and uh at christmas time and look at the christmas lights the way it was glowing and i thought that was really sweet because i remember doing that when i was a kid i used to do that but um 
Yeah, this movie is amazing. Um, I loved it. Uh, um, Kit ends up getting cancer and it follows his battle really closely um, with his family and um, with Jim Parsons' character as well. And um, the very, the towards the end of the movie, I that's when I had to get the, the, the box of Kleenexes because if you've ever seen someone suffer with cancer, I did. And it reminded me a lot of my mom. So that's all I can say about that. Uh, the one thing that I loved about the film was in the credits, they show the original video that was filmed that they show the actors portraying in the film. It's Kit, as he's going through the cancer treatments, he's laying there at, on the, the lounger at the beach on the, on the patio, and he's blowing bubbles, and, and Michael's filming him with the, the iPhone or whatever camera or phone yeah. he was using. And they, they have the reenactment of it in the film and in the credits, they show the actual video, so you actually get to see the actual hero in this film. Yeah. The one thing I wish they would have done as the credits were rolling, show the actual Christmas card photos. Because they they showed the actors in the Christmas cards yeah. in the movie. But they did not show the actual Christmas cards. And that's something I would have liked to have seen. Yeah. But I mean, that's the only real complaint I have with this film. Of course, you got to say it, as I've said multiple, multiple times, Sally Field could read a phone book and I'd sit there and watch it. Like, she could be on the screen eating fried chicken and I'd sit there and watch it. Like, I love Sally Field. And who doesn't love her? And that was another thing that in the interviews, uh, you know, Jim Parsons and Ben Aldridge play Kit and, well, Michael and, and Kit. Jim Parsons is Michael. Ben Aldridge is Kit. And in the interviews, Ben Aldridge was talking about how great it was to work with Sally Field. And he said exactly what I thought the first time I watched this movie. is He got to have a Steel Magnolias moment. Because he's there in the hospital bed, the child of Sally Field. And watching that took me right back to Steel Magnolias whenever I watched it. I've watched it twice because I rewatched it this week to, to be prepared for the show tonight. And I mean, it was instantly I was back in Steel Magnolias. Yeah, in fact, um, I saw where Steel Magnolias played this past weekend, by the way. It was on the air on one of the stations on cable, but. Well, Steel Magnolias is a film that I have put on to have something going in the background and not really pay attention to because I've seen it so many times and I get sucked in every single time watching it. Like, I can't get out of it. Yeah, it, <laughs> you start playing it and you're like, what's the ways they're doing, you know? <laughs> this is football. A lot of people care about his touchdowns and injuries. They don't give a damn about that great shit. <laughs> Weezer with the classic climbs in that film. And I mean, it's the, I still say Steel Magnolias has the perfect scene of any film I've ever seen. 
and it's thanks to Sally Field and, of course, Olympia Dukakis's wonderful performance. And we we reviewed her when she passed, and and it's the fact that Sally Field is standing there giving this monologue about how bad it is that she's lost her daughter and how she feels and all this. And you are wanting to cry your eyes out with her talking. And then instantly, Olympia Dukakis turns it around and you are laughing your ass off. I mean, that's, a, that is something you don't see in films. Is hit, hit to get what you feel in that scene. And that's why, to me, that is the perfect movie scene. And that movie really solidified my love of Sally Field. I watched it for Dolly and Julia, which maybe not so much Julia at the time, because I'm still early on in her career. But anything Dolly, you know, I'm going to watch. And that movie really solidified Sally for me and made me care more about her career. So I wanted to see all of her movies, which I've still got a ways to go. Because <clears throat> she's got such a vast, wonderful library of films. And I've got so much else that I'm trying to watch as well. But I have never been disappointed with a film by Sally Field outside of Soap Dish. Because Soap Dish was just well, not that great. Well, let's get back to the movie. It was just, it was not that great a movie. Well, let's get back to the movie. So, but, yeah, as the anything Sally Field, I'm instantly in. This one, I definitely rank up. And she's not a huge part of this film. <clears throat> but she's a major part of the film, if that yeah. makes sense. And her character, like, there's just so much genuineness to her in it. And it's like, who, who is this person? Why is this person here? And it's all questions that a mother would have. And, I mean, that's the coming out scene. And it's like, like I told you, it wasn't like they were acting. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was fantastic. There's, the writing was spot on. I don't. I need to find out real quick who actually wrote the screenplay. Michael Showalter directed it. Writers David Marshall Grant and Dan Savage did the screenplay based on the book. Spoiler alert: The Hero Dies by Michael Osiello. And Dan Savage is. I mean, I don't know David Marshall Grant by name, but I know Dan Savage. He is a major writer and openly gay. So, yeah, I mean, it's well. This film took took me on an emotional roller coaster. I was laughing at one point, I was crying, then I was laughing again. Then at the very end, it was just like, "Give me a box of tissues," because it was just too much. Reminded me of my mother watching. And as one of the things touching on what you said about it's, it's not like they're acting. The relationship is presented in such a real way. And like straight romances are getting more like gay romances as because there's I'm not knocking and I'm not judging, but there's a lot of infidelity in the gay community and there always has been. And even I've seen people that are married and still are not devoted like they should be. Yeah. And, it deals with that in this film and it's a very real reaction because it's based on real people, but yeah. it's a very real reaction from these and the, the way they handle it, but the, without spoiling anything, 
one of the funniest moments is when they finally go to Michael's apartment. Yes. And one of the funniest points in the film. And like I said, I'm not spoiling anything. I feel so sorry for him because I put myself in my shoes, in his shoes. Because if you'd walk into my bedroom and look around all my shelves, I'm full of Transformers and Funko Pops and things like that. And, yeah. and um, But I did not have those things on my walls. Or, yeah, or I don't I mean, have them on my bedding either, but I do have Harry Potter bedding. <laughs> well, it's, it wasn't just his bedroom. Like, literally, it was, it was the whole apartment. And it was everything. And for me, I don't even have that much Wonder Woman stuff. So, but anyways, it's it's definitely it's worth watching the film just for that and the very real reaction. And I love the the joke that he makes when he talks about the apartment. And it's just, and I I can't say enough good about this one either. Like these were three winners for me this week. The whale at the top of the list. Spoiler alert! Those uh, behind it, and then of course Megan in third place of these films, which is not a like it's not a consolation prize. I really enjoyed Megan, but it was not the quality of film these other two were. Uh, no. So, you saying you'd rewatch it? This one, it's rewatchable for other people, but not for me. So. So the relation is just too much for me. It was too much for me. Because it's like I was talking about with what dreams may come for me. Like, I, yeah, I, I never I would have anybody. to stop it 20 minutes before it ends because that whole last 20 minutes, I held my mother's hand when she died. But the, I, I did like the the nurse in, in the end, which, I mean, we're, we're spoiling parts of the movie, but that's the whole point of it. You know the hero dies at the end. Yeah. And he even tells you at the beginning when they're in the hospital, don't worry, this is not the bad part yet. And the the nurse saying, talk to him, he can hear you. Yeah. I, I really appreciated that because people tend to forget that even though somebody's not responsive, doesn't mean they can't hear. And I mean, I, I can tell the example when I was sick as a child and stayed home, I was watching the, the prices right and fell asleep during it. And apparently a murder she wrote commercial came on and this shows you how the brain works. But like in my sleep, apparently I heard the murder she wrote commercial and the big wheel was going on. And in my dream, I'm with Jessica Fletcher and we're going down a hidden staircase behind the big wheel at the Price is Right, investigating something. I don't remember <laughs> what we were investigating, but that's what ended up in my dream. But you heard it, yeah. So, so you do hear things like it's it's definite. And so remember that if you have a loved one that you're losing, talk to them, let them know you care, let them know you're there, give them solace in their end moments, and. With that, we will say that Megan and Spoiler Alert are both available with a subscription to Peacock. And The Whale is currently available digitally and will be releasing on Blu-ray and DVD on March 14th, I believe. So it's coming very soon. And 
again, I'd rewatch them all. Paul would rewatch them to the best of his ability, except for me. Um, with that, we will end this one. Don't know what we're going to review next week, but I will say March 14th, go ahead and plan on it. Gotham Knights is premiering. It's a one-hour show on the CW. We will be reviewing that for our show March 15th, two weeks from tonight. So it'll be on CW Live on March 14th and on the next day on the CW app. And with that, any final words? Nope. Um, uh, just, uh, you know, COVID's still going around, so wear your mask and be as careful as you can. So, and Don't ever think that it's not there, and please get factual reports. Don't get politicized reports. It's like oh, you don't... don't, don't, don't oh, ooh, I can open up a whole can of worms right there, but I'm not... I can't do it. Well, I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to get into it. I'm just going to say, you don't go to a politician to work on your car. You don't go to a politician for medical advice. You don't go to a politician and believe lies about the actual science. So, just because it, they say what you want to hear, doesn't make it right. And they were proven that they were lying to begin with. And yep. now being currently sued. But but anyways, we will figure out what to review. I'm thinking I'm leaning towards Marcel the Shell with shoes on because I have not watched it and it's best picture animation nominee. So <clears throat> that'll probably be my pick. And then if Paul has anything because it's my work weekend, so I've got a thirty six hours and three days weekend where I can't watch anything. Yeah. We'll figure it out. With that, I believe we have finished. So until next week, goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.